weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Yes, big thanks to the two Johnnies for driving us through this afternoon. It is Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up over the course of the next hour, Nadine Doherty and Eva Murray will be joining us to review and preview all the main headlines across ladies football and camogie leagues. Tony O'Donoghue will be dialing in live from Marbella to chat all the things Irish international football following the girls in Green's draw over at China this afternoon. And of course, the addition of John O'Shea to the men's national team backroom team. Keith Tracy is also standing by to look back at a manic evening of Champions League football last night as we hope for more of the same tonight. All that plus the latest from the Irish Rugby Camp makes up this evening's Game On. If you want to get in touch, you can send us a text on 51552 or tweet us at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Yes, hello there, good evening. It's great to have your company on Game On here in 2FM on this Wednesday evening. A couple of news headlines before we cross live to sunny Spain and join Tony O'Donoghue, starting with rugby. Ireland captain Johnny Sex has been ruled out of Saturday's Six Nations match with Italy due to injury. The out-half suffered a groin injury against France in round two and will not be risked against the Azuri in Rome as Ireland bid to make it three wins in a row. Leinster fly-half Ross Byrne is expected to replace him, uh, while Jack Crowley and the recall Joey Carberry are also options for Andy Farrell. Second row, James Ryan will captain the team uh, in Sexton's absence and we will hear a little bit from... Uh, excuse me, James Ryan, uh, later on in the show. Meanwhile, Ireland head coach Richie Murphy has named an unchanged side for Friday night's under-20 Six Nations meeting with Italy in Treviso. Uh, in soccer, League of Ireland stalwart David McMillan has announced his retirement from football. McMillan featured for UCD, Pats and Sligo, but will be celebrated most at Dundalk, where he won League and Cup titles, scoring a hat-trick in the 2020 decider against Cork City. He also scored 14 goals in European competitions. In golf, the PGA Tour and... <coughs> Excuse me, LPGA have announced a new mixed team event which will feature 16 players from each team competing for a $4 million prize fund. The Grant Thornton Invitational will take place from December 8th to 10th in Florida. It will be the first time the tours have held an annual mixed team competition since 1999 when John Daly and Laura Davis won the final edition of the JC Penny Classic. Finally, a round of the UCI Cyclocross World Cup will return to Dublin in November. Round 5 action will take place at Sports Campus Ireland in Abbottstown on November 26th next following the very successful hosting of a round of the championship in 2022. So Shinai for news headlines for the moment. Let's get across to Spain and join RT soccer correspondent Tony Donoghue. Tony, how is Spain, sir? It's fine, actually, Shane. I'm sure you'd enjoy it here. It's uh, nearly 10 past seven now, so the temperature is dropping. But when we arrived yesterday, the Republic of Ireland squad were telling us they were delighted that we brought the sunshine with, with us because, you know, their trip here was for a 10-day uh, intense training camp and they didn't have good weather until yesterday and today. So I always bring the sunshine, as you know. As you do, Tony. As you do. No better, man. Um, come here. The Republic of Ireland did play out a nil-all draw with China today, which I mentioned at the top of the show, in the Estadio Nuevo Mirador in Cadiz, if I'm to uh, try butcher a Spanish pronunciation, uh, 50 miles away from their Marbella training camp. For those of us that weren't tuned in to the RT News channel earlier on today, uh, Tony, how did that one play out? Was it a boring nil-all draw or a bit eventful? You know... Both sides are, are in, in training for the World Cup finals and this is really important. It, it was an important game for a number of reasons for both sides. I mean, China have a, a group that includes England, Denmark and Haiti. 
and of course we all know Ireland's group that will include the uh, Olympians, Canada, uh, we have Nigeria and of course the host Australia. So what everyone was trying to do from an Irish point of view was get on that plane. We had new players coming in, three players made their Republic of Ireland debuts today, which is most unusual in a game as, as significant as this ahead of uh, our very first World Cup finals. So we had... Um, uh, to, to begin with, uh, Aoife Mannion, she's the Manchester United uh, player, who in fairness, as she's always said, she's had an Irish passport since she was a child. She's English-born, um, and, and I thought she was uh, very good, I have to say. Uh, but as well as that, it was uh, uh, Deborah Anne de la Harp. Now, she came all the way from Australia uh, to join up with the Irish camp, and uh, she was given a start by Vera Poe as well, which was uh, very interesting. And Marissa Shiva came from America. So there'll be some, you know, uh, people will consider whether, you know, bringing new players to the camp. There's a possibility that might disrupt the entire ethos of the camp, uh, but it looks like if you can, you know, judge the soundings over the last 48 hours that they've integrated well. Now, whether any of those three have done enough today to, first of all, be involved in the in the next camp in April and that trip to America to play the USA, the world champions, twice, uh, well, it remains to be seen because overall, Ireland had a few chances. Um, you know, Louise Quinn had a header off the crossbar, thundered back off the crossbar, uh, and it's from set pieces that Irish seem to be, Ireland rather, seem to be at their most dangerous. Uh, but China were good too, and, you know, to be fair, they're, uh, they're nine players places ahead of us in the, the world rankings and I would say overall if it was a boxing match you might have given it to China on points. We had a, a ball in the net uh, disallowed for you know obstruction or a foul on the goalkeeper perhaps. They had a, the ball in the net disallowed for, a, for an offside. So they slugged it out between them but I think from an Irish point of view uh, those three debuts are really important um, and to be fair as well as that there's um, you know you, you look at the fact that Megan Connolly came back. Now she uh, missed the playoff game against Scotland because of injuries so to see her back uh, in the heart of the Irish defence again uh, was heartening I have to say um, and so as well as that uh, Abby Larkin started she's only 17 years of age uh, and I think Vera Poe is looking to see what can she do to ignite her attack because you know she's proud of the of the clean sheets proud of the fact that we are hard to beat uh, but we need a little bit extra now for we need to go on and uh, you know do something make an impression at this World Cup uh, so pace up front could be important that's why Marissa Shiva and her cameo in the second half proved that she might have something to offer as well Some great stories there and you mentioned uh, the three debutants Mannion, De La Harp and, and Shiva and I know Tony you caught up with a few players but I want to play an Aoife Mannion clip as well because it's a great little story in particular so here's Aoife Mannion for our listeners chatting to Tony a bit earlier today Oh, I'm so pleased to have made my debut. In the corner of my eye, I can see my mum, my dad and my sister in the stands. So sort of to, to put this jersey on and then to do it in front of family as well, it's just really, really special for me. I mean, it's been in the pipeline for such a long time, so, it to, so for it to come into fruition today is really pleasing. And obviously we managed to get a clean sheet against China. They're a very good opponent. And we were really pushing for that goal right into the dying moments of the game. It wasn't to be today, but we think overall that was a good performance. How did you feel beforehand? Were you nervous? Do you know... I actually wasn't as nervous as you'd probably think I was going to be. Like, everything is about the task at hand. It's probably only now after the game where, you know, I'm just letting it all soak in, the kind of enormous honour that it's been to put this shirt on. It's a bit more overwhelming now than it was before the game. Before the game, it was blinkers on. What's my job? What's my task? What am I going to try and do on the ball? How am I going to defend? All in the details. But now I can kind of let a little sigh of relief 
and maybe have a little bit of a celebratory moment later just to kind of acknowledge the occasion and how special it's been. That was Aoife Mannion chatting to Tonya Dunhu earlier today. Tony, she's saying all the right things, and I know from reading a few articles, I think it was Anthony Pine had it on the RT website of, it was Amber Barrett grilled her when she first came into to room with her. They're like, what are you doing here? Are you Irish? What's happening here? But she's, she seems to be settling in well. She's no plastic pad anyway, that's for sure, and I think that's important because, you know, she was, uh, as I said earlier, she had an Irish passport from uh, her earliest time, even though she was uh, born in in the UK, born in England, and a Birmingham uh, girl. But, you know, she's got Mayo uh, relations, she's got Galway relations. Uh, Her parents were out here in Spain today to to see her debut. She's very proud. Uh, And look, what's very important, what, what Vera Powell said, she only take players if they're better than what we have already and I think in Mannion that might be the case uh, I think she proved it as I say in 70 minutes today that she's definitely got the makings you know she has been injured for Manchester United so hopefully she's over that now Manchester United were very happy for her to come away with the Republic of Ireland knowing that her training load would be managed correctly and that she'd get game time today uh, and hopefully she'll be back in a, a red shirt for Manchester United uh, but I reckon and I'm you know I don't think it's much of a punt to say she will be uh, on the flight at least to America now for those two games in April uh, and some people would even suggest she's not just going to be on the 23 to Australia she could already be after today's performance uh, pushing for a place in the starting 11 against Australia Well that's certainly positive to see that the competition for places I know Paul Curry mentioned this yesterday we were on the show and it's it's, it's a, is it a good headache in your opinion for Vera Powell to have now like if she's picking a 23 uh, player squad three of which will be goalkeepers so you've only got 20 outfield players this group of of players have done so well to achieve qualification now and it's a fine fine balance trying to just make sure it's right off the pitch as well as on the pitch in terms of bringing in new faces I think there's possibly one more new face as well to to possibly come in in the friendlies against against USA as well so it's 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 very delicate to say the least yeah, uh, John Fallon in the Irish Examiner was reporting that uh, Megan Finnegan, uh, an Everton midfielder, is the one other player that they've been looking at, that they've been you know, seeking FIFA international clearance for and looking for a passport for. And obviously that didn't come in time for this. Uh, and as I say, we're a bit toothless up front. I mean, you know, Heather Payne had another uh, terrific game. She runs the channel. She works her socks off. Um, but we, I think, a bit like in the men's side, we could really do with a, a natural goal scorer. But to your earlier point, I think it's important to say you know there is a special group of players here they've you know they've had hardships they've overcome their hardships all the way back to the strike action in 2017 and before that for some of them and you know to me it would be almost unthinkable if someone like Onyo Gorman uh, had to lose her her seat on the plane uh, to someone who's just played their first match for Ireland today uh, you look at Diane Caldwell and what a servant she's been she came on late in the second half for Mannion by the way uh, and did well and almost scored as well from one of the the tried and tested routines because the likes of a you know a, a Mannion or a Deborah and De La Harp or a Marisa Shiva they have to learn all the routines now I'm sure they'll do that in camp but there is only the three camps well two left now the, the April camp and the, the June camp before they're at the World Cup so I think the balance the emotional balance of the group uh, the technical balance of their of their skill and their ability uh, and the tactical uh, news of what they need to do that's very important and it's a balancing act that 
Shearer, power has to strike because of course you want the best players and when you look back at the, 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 the Irish teams in the past, the men's teams, where would we be, where would we have been without the Ray Houghtons and the John Aldridge's and the Andy Townsend's and, 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 and what you like. So, yeah. you know, I think it is that we get the best players, that they're fully committed to Ireland and I think all of these have a, a backstory that says, yes, we want to play for Ireland, but they haven't gone through the pain, the heartache, the journey, if you like, that uh, Irish players like Louise Quinn, for example, uh, went through and she was the player of the match today, no surprise to anybody. She was indeed, and on that note, Tony, it's a perfect segue to play a bit of a Louise Quinn interview. For us, it's another clean sheet against a top team, but really I thought we just could have gone on and won it. I feel like they didn't threaten us too much, had an offside goal, but I just feel like we had more of the chances, more set pieces, more threatening um, with the ball. So, you know, there's maybe a small bit of disappointment in that, just not to take advantage of it, but overall still a really strong, solid performance. You had a header against the crossbar. I thought it was going to break the crossbar. Yeah, yeah I know. That's, I thought I had it, but listen, it was from a tough angle. Great ball as well, as as always. And But we've got, to, we've got to score from those opportunities, so I'll be a little bit disappointed with that. But again, we're creating them, we're making them. We're going to work harder on them to make sure that we that we take advantage of them. New faces in the camp today. Um, what do you think they did? Fair play to them. They, they stepped up to the plate. I'm sure it's, you know, you can play at a real top level, which they do with their clubs. And then, but, you know, coming to the international stage and to and to represent, you know, your country is is what it means. And I just thought as well, they just did themselves justice and some, themselves proud. They've fitted right into the group. So for me, I just hope that they're happy with themselves. Louise Quinn speaking there um, always speaks so well Tony um, you know we mentioned the players and, and the competition for places and that's even they like to say Jess Sue or Chloe Mustaki and there's a couple of others um, that, that are injured that haven't been involved as well that are due to come back as well so this whole training camp and I know we mentioned the, the USA uh, next time they meet up then as well for, for the next training camp building towards the World Cup as well and it is about tinkering and tweaking and just getting that trying to find that perfect formula to bring into the World Cup now overall what's what's the general feeling from, from Marbella that there is they're going to come away with this with, with a lot of positive feelings and, and a lot of good learnings for want of a, a better less rugby-ish phrase <laughs> <laughs> yeah well eight clean sheets now for Ireland unbeaten the last nine matches you know to be hard to beat is where you, you start those are the fundamentals of, of any team building uh, but Ireland need to go to the next level now I mean you talked about tweaking there uh, Katie McCabe the Ireland captain who had a big strapping on her leg uh, during training yesterday but she was she assured us she was fine to start and she did play the whole game uh, but finding the best position for her when this campaign started she was our left wing back um, she's further up the field now trying to get her more involved in the play trying to get her connected to Denise O'Sullivan uh, but it didn't really come off today we didn't create that much and that is the worry I think you know we're going to have to find a way to, to break teams down uh, because there were a lot of long balls there were the you know long goal kicks and of course the long throws and I, I think opinion might be somewhat divided on this Megan Campbell has so much to offer uh, but you know the long throw is what makes her notable which makes her stand out and um, but it's important that Ireland try and vary their game as well because if every time it's going to be a long throw well the opposition will just learn how to how to defend that uh, and sometimes Ireland need to you know be a little bit more creative uh, and, and for Megan there was a mistake she made early in the second half that could have cost Ireland a goal as well so she'll be a bit disappointed in that so you know they've had 10 days uh, tweaking is important but too much tweaking can lose the best of what you have your fundamentals uh, so I think the, the squad that 
that's chosen for those two games in America, it's going to be really interesting because if that new player, Megan Finnegan, is added, if, if Vera V's her better than what we have already, uh, that'll be an interesting and a very tough call to make. Uh, but it will be fascinating to play the United States, the world champions, uh, in Austin, Texas on the 8th of April and in St. Louis, Missouri three days later. Uh, in a year when they're defending their uh, their world crown, of course, and you know they really are at a at a higher level than than most teams, and you know traditionally and historically they've been uh, at a much better level than Ireland. But Ireland have gotten better, and as I say, harder to beat. Um, so this will certainly present a different type of challenge. Well, it will be interesting to see, and there certainly will be a big challenge. Tony, just before I let you go, a word on John O'Shea. He is stepping up from the under-21s to uh, Stephen Kenny's backroom team as well. Uh, an expected move, a good move? I'm sure it will be a good move. I mean, it, it's good to see that there's that progression, but that particular position in the Irish uh, setup, uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, doomed. I mean, Damien Duff was there, Anthony Barry was there, John Eustace was there. Uh, I hope uh, John O'Shea doesn't walk away from the position too soon, you know. He's served his time, if you like, and it's good to see that pathway available for, for players and ex-players, certainly the likes of John O'Shea. Well, I mean, what a super uh, player he was, 118 caps. Uh, and what experience he brought to bear. You know, he'll be so respected following his own playing career and what he brought to the game for Manchester United and indeed for Ireland. He was a big part of Jim Crawford's setup. And, you know, you do wonder in terms of the, the hierarchy, uh, would it have been a, a, an interesting move for Jim Crawford to go and into the senior setup to be promoted, if, if you like, uh, in, in the uh, HR of the Republic of Ireland men's national team and uh, for John O'Shea to take over the 21s? He's gone uh, from uh, being Jim Crawford's assistant to now being uh, yet another assistant for Stephen Kenny along with Keith Andrews. But I think it is important that players who've, who've been terrific heroes for Ireland, who've done their time in the coaching room and on the training pitch, uh, get their reward. And to keep people like John O'Shea, like Richard Dunn for that matter as well, mm. like Keith Andrews, uh, and I come back and think about uh, it would be nice at some point if Robbie Keane could have a, you know, a, a role in the future of Irish football at some time in the future. Absolutely. Tony Dunhill, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. Enjoy the rest of your evening in Marbella. Uh, gentlemen, as always, we're going to take a quick break. Nadine Doherty and Ethan Murray will be joining us after, and we'll hear from James Ryan. But just to wrap up our women's football chat, just some women's National League news in the last few moments. Ravimbo Mucharera and Siobhan Killeen, Dublin Gaelic footballer, have joined Shelburne. So we will be chatting to Nadine. Aoife, we'll hear from James Ryan in a few moments' time. Stick with us here in Game On 2FM. Game On. Rugby. Now, before we chat Gaelic football with Nadine Doherty and Kamogi with Ethan Murray, just news that is reaching us uh, from the world of rugby. Wales Six Nations match against England and Cardiff will go ahead after the Welsh players decided to play. Saturday's game in Cardiff was in doubt with players threatening not to turn up because of a dispute with Welsh rugby bosses over contracts. Wales head coach Warren Gatland had said he was confident the matter would be resolved uh, yesterday despite delaying naming a side and cancelling training. Gatland will now name his side tomorrow. Had the game been called off, it would have cost the Welsh Rugby Union almost £10 million. So, good news that the rugby will go ahead. I mentioned at the top of the show, Johnny Sexton is out of uh, Ireland's uh, Six Nations clash with Italy and Rome on Saturday. Groin injury is ruling him out. Uh, so James Ryan will take over as Ireland's skipper for Saturday's game against Uzuri. And this afternoon, he was chatting in camp with Michael Corcoran. 
big honour for me to, to captain the country this week. Two from two so far, we are where we want to be, top of the table at the moment with ten points. Um, but uh, definitely no room for complacency going away to Rome this week. Um, we think you're looking at a, a much improved Italy side who will back themselves, who will bring plenty of motion you know, playing in Rome. So it's not going to be an easy day for us at all. Well, I take you back to the last time they played in Rome, was in round one against a team that you put away quite easily the last day of France. Uh, they were quite unlucky that they didn't beat France on that day, so they'll be looking to go one stop better this week. They got very close to winning at the end. You know, They had a, they had a line-out drive five metres from the French line that was obviously disrupted in the end, but um, they're much improved. I think if you look at their attack, I think it's really come on. Um, they play with a lot of ambition now. You saw them playing against England deep inside their own 22. They've got some like genuinely world-class players there. You know, Obviously, Caputo um, sticks out. Garbisi could be back. A fly half, he makes a big difference to them. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough test for us, but we're looking forward to getting stuck in. Does that fill you with excitement or does it make you scratch your head, the fact that you know over the last couple of games it hasn't been the complete 80-minute performance, but there is a kind of sense that there's a bit more to come from the Southern squad? Look, I think that's kind of the environment that we're, we're in now that's been created. It's always challenging ourselves to, to be better, to get better. You know, that's been the main focus this week as well, pushing on our performance because, you know, this is round three now uh, and really should be our best performance so far because the expectation is, you know, we've had another two weeks together after the French game. Massive honours on the guys this week to put on performance. Game on. Ladies football. So, Nadine Doherty, how are you? I'm great, and how are you? I'm very well, I'm Super. very well, despite the husky voice. I'm fine. <laughs> um, let us chat uh, National Football League. Division 1, Kerry sit top, Galway second, Waterford Dublin, Cork Mead, Mayo. And unfortunately, your own Donegal sit bottom. Let us start with your own Donegal. They suffered a 2-9-7 points defeat at home to Waterford. Next up for Donegal is Cork. Uh, away, they're in serious trouble now. Yeah, um, they are. Shane, they're, they're in big trouble because as, as you named out there, the fixtures are they're tricky ones now, you know. But, you know, in their defence, I suppose, while they're obviously struggling and they're in huge trouble you know there is a very clear game plan there you can see it there's you know there's there's good movement there's there's good structure and you can see that these young players and you have like there's 16 and 17 year olds playing mm. you know and they're really really trying to implement that game plan and, and I suppose again at the weekend it was just the inexperience at times that really let them down you know they really dominated I felt the first 10 minutes and just two sloppy goals and now I would have felt that one of the goals came from a bit of a questionable enough free kick but still the girls just weren't switched on and listen they're up against the Waterford team who you know they'll be really happy with their game management yet again um, how they closed out the game they're just a really strong fast powerful team who are really playing to their I suppose their strengths um, the difference really was Waterford's transition from defence to attack it was much quicker it was much slicker and I mean that pitch at, I'm from Letterkenny and I've played mm. in that pitch many times a huge pitch and Waterford just used it to their advantage they used the space and you know there were some last ditch tackles from Donegal and they were lucky not to get a few Simbins um, they tried very hard but look Waterford deserved it and with Donegal, I suppose, you know, if they do survive this relegation, it's unlikely, but they might. You know, you never know. But it, it'll be interesting to see what Donegal we see in two months' time for the championship. You know, I saw Karen Guthrie, a name we're very familiar with on the sideline. Mm. She got into a little bit of a scuffle on the pitch, which was great to see. So is that an indication that Karen will be back for championship? I, I think it is. Hopefully. And hopefully. And you'd hope that, you know, the rest of the big names will be back. But huge credit to that young Donegal team because they, while they're at the bottom of the table, they really have competed in every single game so mm. they have to deserve huge credit for that and listen Waterford's sitting pretty they'll be thrilled thrilled absolutely uh, 
third in the table at the moment two wins from four um, another team lacking a bit of confidence at the moment is Mead now there are plenty of talking points uh, to this fixture Mead uh, nine points Mayo two six um, let's talk about the, the footballing side of things first before the uh major talking point let's say about the the tackling yeah absolutely I suppose listen looking at Mayo they got their first win um, they'll be delighted with that because it probably does get them out of a relegation battle essentially um, they'll also be thrilled that they put together two halves of football Shane that we've been talking about Mayo I suppose every week so far they've had brilliant second halves but they, they've given themselves too much of a mountain to climb um, I felt that they used the wind much better than, than me they were a little bit more composed and I thought maybe the individual performances like I thought Fiona McHale was really really excellent um, Diane Caldwell she had very little to do defensively and she used that pace and power that she has going forward she was brilliant and Lisa Caffergy, you know, she impressed up front as did Sinead Walsh. Uh, I suppose Mayo, but I would feel the kick out was a little bit questionable again. But Laura Brennan, I felt had a brilliant game in goals and her kicking itself was excellent. I just feel Mayo probably need a little bit more movement mm. um, or that they'll find themselves in trouble against, I suppose, you know, a, a quicker team because I just looking at me, I feel... You nailed it there. I think confidence is quite low. Um, you know, their defensive shape, it's there. It's the same, but the intensity isn't there that, that we've seen in previous years. But in saying that, they have the second best defensive record in the league. You know, um, yeah. up front though, they have the second worst scoring record. So that's where things aren't clicking. And again, look, there's a lot of new faces in there. They are competing, but I just think they need a little confidence boost. Um, they'll be fine in Division 1. They're, they're not going to make a final now. They're not going to get relegated. But I think we do need to see them up it a bit for championship. Um, and yeah, the big talking point, I suppose, Shane, we've spoken about the, the charge rule mm. or rules. Um, but the last five minutes of that game was complete chaos because the referee made a few decisions. I'm not blaming the referee at all. Mm. Um, he followed the rules, actually, if you go by the charging rule. But for the last five minutes, tensions were really, really high. Uh, the sideline were on the pitch dangerously high I mean Myra O'Shaughnessy got a second yellow card for dissent and I wouldn't blame her to be honest uh, Rachel Cairns was there was a re- pretty bad off the ball tackle I felt she was maybe lucky not to see the sideline um, and then at the end the referee had to nearly be escorted off by his, his lines people and mm. the crowd were really riled up everybody was just riled up because of these decisions because it's just so unclear mm. and the same tackles or the same charges I say in inverted commas next week might go the other way you know I mean Neve O'Sullivan got the ball and she had there was no way she could have known that there was a player behind her and that player leaned into her and the free went against Neve O'Sullivan it was just so is, I, is this a lack of sorry to cut across you is this no, a lack no, of, no. Of, of clarity on, on the rule or is it just lack of consistency and different referees implementing different yeah, you see the, ways of it? yeah you see the rule states that there's three different rules that if the player in possession charges then it's a free against them I mean what that's so broad yeah. uh, there's also another rule that says if the player deliberately charges and that's fair enough I would feel because if a player does deliberately charge into somebody else and that is a free but I just feel that the skill of the tackle is no longer being rewarded we're not seeing it and I would feel what's happening and maybe it's because so much football is now live streamed and it's you know you can see it. we see more football week on week um, that it's being coached it's definitely being coached how to take a charge, how to step into the the player in the ball, how to step into their line. So yeah, it's a problem. And I, cynical coaching? Uh, 
some people would say cynical, clever, maybe. You yeah. know, like if a rule is there, you're entitled to coach to exploit mm. it, I suppose. But uh, I think it's it's going to become increasingly difficult for the association over the next couple of months. So. Something that most likely won't be rectified before championship? Well, Congress is in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure if it's it's in the motions. Mm. Um, I don't think it is. It, it might be, but um, I think it could be too late this year for a change of rule. So yeah, we, yeah. we'll see. I just hope that you don't see a repeat of what happened there um, at the weekend with, with Meath and, and Mayo because it really overshadowed what was quite a decent game of football actually yeah absolutely but unfortunately you know these things have to be raised and I'm sure they might be in certain Sunday independent columns so possibly yes I've got a homework to do to tonight <laughs> <laughs> um, let's keep chatting football then uh, we'll finish with my beloved Dublin getting a tonking against Kerry but first Galway uh, Cork Galway 115 Cork 4-4 up next with Galway's Waterford away and uh, as I mentioned earlier uh, Cork face Donegal it was a miserable day with difficult conditions uh still played a decent entertaining game really really entertaining um, I'm really enjoying Cork this year up front now while they didn't really fire on all cylinders at the weekend um, really really enjoyable but uh, Galway used to win to their advantage that was probably the, the one of the biggest difference you know an example being Roisin Leonard kicking over a 45 which in women's football you get two points mm. and she had yards to spare so brilliant execution and listen really in the second half Cork retreated and they invited Galway on them and when we speak about the names in Galway and that pace and that power if you do that they're just going to go direct but in saying that you know you look at you look at Cork and they were poor enough I suppose they look back at it but like they were still within a score, a, a kick of the ball at the mm. end and they almost stole it at the end uh, looking at Galway look uh, on the negative side I suppose to start they went from conceding zero goals in three games to four goals in one game three in the space of five minutes mm. um, and they completely dominated that first half and found themselves behind at the break but listen so many positives to them at the minute their running game massive thing for Galway it's their strength and depth I mean Tracy Leonard came on again and she was kicking scores for free um, Cork they struggled in that first half but as I said they they, they hung in there um, I would question how tuned in Cork are you know over the course of the 60 minutes Galway got a free on the 13 metre line and Cork had a goalkeeper and one player on the line like they could have totally conceded a goal so look they looked direct by that Kiro Sullivan was back massive plus for them she was off the pace I suppose a little bit but still she set up two goals and she'll, she'll just develop with, with each week her fitness will come up to speed mm. so brilliant game and Cork sitting pretty at the top mm. So yeah, fair play. Uh, we do have to move on, unfortunately. You know, I suppose you had to talk about Donegal getting well beaten, so I suppose we shall leave with Dublin getting uh, well beaten. Kerry 3.15, Dublin one ten. Let's talk about Kerry. It was a very good performance uh, for Kerry and they did exactly uh, what they uh, what we thought they would do. Started a strong team, showed that hunger uh, and intention of, of really putting down a big marker. Yeah, massively, Shane. They were very impressive and there's a bit of a paradigm shift, I think, um, with these few performances Kerry have, have put together. Huge statement. And what I find interesting, you know, how many times have we seen Dublin cruise into victory and 
emptying their bench and taking on their star players. So Kerry were able to to turn that back around this weekend. I'm looking at Kerry and they are tigerish in defence. They have brilliant shape. They have brilliant footballers. But up front, they have this lovely triangle of Louise Navarro-Hertig. Uh, it was Hanno Donoghue at the weekend and Chief Rocher. And they just dropped their whole half-forward line back and they let those girls take on that space. And listen, this game by half-time, you know, Kerry had scored 210 with the wind in that first half. But watching it, it was still entertaining. I didn't feel like... like you know Dublin threw in the table and again look we spoke about this Dublin are using the league to experiment with different players and so on but um, they they did play catch up the whole game which I would feel would be a little bit worrying for them and you know to lose by the margin they did is a little bit worrying even at yeah, this how, stage how of the season yeah, it? it's, well, it's not just a loss it's, it's a heavy defeat the manner of, of the performance I know you mentioned they're tweaking so is yeah. it more of a case of Asher look we're tweaking don't worry about it or Jesus we, we did get a yeah, well, that, that's what Dublin will definitely be talking in their own camp for sure but um, I mean that's a serious tanking even at, at this mm. stage there and looking at individual battles as well you know you look at Louise Neverhertig now I mean, Dublin tried Jess Tobin on her, didn't work, tried Martha Byrne, you know, these top, top defenders. And I'm looking at Dublin, I'm thinking, you know, who else do they have to spring for the championship to, to look after that Kerry forward line? Then Carla Rowe, Ailish Lynch, I thought from Kerry, had an unbelievable game all over the pitch. And, you know, she stuck to Carla Rowe. Uh, so, yeah, listen, Dublin, they won't be worried themselves, but I'm just kind of looking at it thinking, is, as I said, is is this paradigm shift here? Mm. You know, Kerry and Galway, while it's early, they're really looking very, very good. And they're definitely two teams, especially Kerry, who are looking to make statements. You know, Kerry, no more than me last year, they're, they want to, say to people they want to say to the country we're actually here to stay and we're here to push on for that All-Ireland so well, they're flying high they in Division are, 1 absolutely. so they're doing all the right things at the moment just to rattle through Division 2 Armagh four wins from four they had a big win over Tyrone uh, Leash uh, Tipperary are second and third Cavan and Westmead Monaghan uh, mid-table there uh, as are Tyrone and Roscommon still searching for their, their first win of the campaign they were defeated at Hunt Westmead uh, last weekend as well so great stuff Nadine uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting next well Marie will be chatting with you next then, Wednesday as well uh, but in the meantime uh, have a great rest of the week we are going to move on to uh, Camogie next with uh, Eva Murray Game on Camogie mm. Now Eva Murray how is the form let us chat all things Camogie as I frantically search for my notes in uh, peak professional fashion here where would you like to begin so it was week one uh, in the Camogie um Aoife and there were wins for Cork, Tipperary and Clare in Division 1A defeats for Kilkenny, Galway and Dublin. Let us start with your own Cork, I suppose. A, a big win for them, it has to be said. Yeah, look, it was a, a great start, but um, you know, the first round of the league, I suppose, it's always a funny time because you're coming, just coming off of your college competitions, whether it be Ashburn uh, or Purcell. Um, so it's always a funny start to, to the championship and normally throws up a few funny score lines or, or, or big wins for certain counties and I think for Cork coming out of it with 317 to 5 points great to get a great to get the win uh, and a significant win but I suppose you would nearly say what were the what were the learnings for them out of it you know mm, very much so and we'll be interested to see how they um push on from that as well and how Dublin respond uh, I, I should I suppose I, I know I started with Jerome Cork Aoife but um, another fixture that really stood out was Tipperary's big win over Galway 4-9 to 1-9 so Galway's defence of their uh, league division 1A title off to a rocky start uh, 
it, it, it is in fairness, but actually you could nearly also pick out Clare and Kilkenny, another big win for, for Clare. So it's a, it was a super start to the weekend, in mm. fairness. Uh, and even looking at the table, it's great to think that one game into the into the league, you really don't know how it's how it's going to finish. Which, let's face it, we weren't always blessed with that level of, of open competition. Um, and Tipperary's win over Galway. Look, first of all, you're a new manager there with with with, with Tip right with, with Dennis Kelly, and I think in fairness for him to come out of that game at four nine and a win over such a super team as Galway, I think it's a super start for them in particularly trying to break that you know, the semi-final stage of, of the championship later in the year. You know, for Galway, in fairness, they were, they were fairly depleted of maybe some of their normal 15 starters between college injuries and, and people gone travelling. Uh, so, you know, you might look back and go, one nine wasn't too bad, but I think, in fairness, uh, they were pretty lucky with that goal they got, so it could have been, it could have been a bigger, bigger defeat for Galway. Galway missing a lot of players there, as you mentioned, but taking nothing away from from the job Dennis Kelly has has done so far, taking over from Bill Milani, it's a, a big job he has um, to progress with. Cor Staunton is a performance coach in, in with the Galway, Galway Camogie team as well. I'm right in saying. Yeah, that's correct. And I think, look, that's brilliant, isn't it? It's uh, trying to one trying to keep women in women's sport, but using such, a, I suppose. Look, it, I'm not a big fan of the word, but but I think she fits into this bracket very well. You know, she's an absolute legend of women's sport in Ireland. Mm. Uh, not only here, but what she's done across in, in Australia. And um, I certainly know if I was a player and I saw Cora um, come into our dressing room, uh, you'd certainly listen to her. I, I think she's a great role model as well for particularly the likes of Galway, where maybe they might, they need to bring a few young players in through in through maybe some of those experienced players um, and I think having Cora there uh, she's certainly someone that you would you would listen to take advice from and um, you know in fairness, she, she wouldn't be the biggest of talkers but uh, any time I've ever been in her company I've always come away uh, certainly uh, coming away with a lot of energy um, so I think it's a, it's a great coup for them yeah, I think it's it's when they're more quiet and you know you listen a bit more intently mm-hmm. and you take on board what they're saying maybe a bit more and it's more powerful the the less words said as well. But I suppose bigger picture, Aoife, I'm I'm just I'm conscious not to get too, you know, digging too deep into matches because it is only round one of of the league as well and there will be lots of twists and turns along the way. But just focusing on something you said earlier about that competitiveness as well. Yes, we've seen big big wins, but perhaps a couple of surprises in terms of overall competitiveness of one A. I mean we're hopefully going to be in for a properly good, great league yeah like look it's what you want because for, for too long and I think we've had this discussion numerous times is you don't want to always be talking about your Cork, Galway and Kilkenny right and it was always that second tier where we didn't know whether it was a second or a third tier to the championship um, and having the likes of, of Tip having the likes of Clare be that competitive first round um take it as a blip maybe for, for Dublin their first day out uh, but certainly having those teams put up big scores as well in fairness and scoring goals I think has probably maybe been an issue for, for them uh, in previous years so it's really important it's important for the game and the growing of the game getting more people to watch it and trying to get more play in the game it's it's the biggest thing for me and I think it's a great way to start and hopefully hopefully it's not just a, a first round a uh, first round happening that it actually now takes takes place in every every um, every round it wouldn't be amazing if we didn't have Kilkenny 
uh, Galway. And I hate to say it, Cork, if, if we had a had a clear and chip final, I think it would be absolutely massive for the game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Speaking of the spread of the game, uh, let us finish with Division 1B. Two first half goals from uh, Captain Dobbin sent Antrim on their way as they accounted for Down, who had Neve Mallon starring uh, by 514 to 14 points. Bet Carton shot 214 as Waterford defeated Offaly by 422 to 19, while Wexford overcame Limerick by 13 points to 10. Who catches your eye here in Division 1B, Eva? Uh, Antrim, to be honest, I think. Um I have a lot of time for them. I think how they've come up through through the through the through to the senior grade and championships as well. They certainly for me I think they always score goals, which is which is probably one of the most exciting parts. Um and also Waterford putting up four twenty two. Uh I think having the likes of Antrim and Waterford really setting the tone in that 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 one B division, I think it's gonna be great for the likes of the Downs, Wexford, Limbers and Galloways or Offaly's apology, mm. uh, trying to get them back up into that, that Division 1 status. But certainly Antrim and Waterford were the, were the two, big, two big ones for me. Great stuff. Well, as you mentioned there, hopefully we do see a proper competitive league, um, not only in 1A and 1B, but across divisions. Um, and hopefully, from a personal viewpoint, we don't see Dublin getting tonked into Camogie and the ladies' football, but however, that's a story for a different day. Aoife Murray, Nadine Doherty, thank you both very much uh, for joining us. Uh, Nadine and Aoife will be back next Wednesday. We're going to be chatting soccer with Keith Tracy in a few moments' time. Stick with us here on Game On 2FM. Game On. Football. Now, you're very welcome back to the final part of Game On this Wednesday evening. Keith Tracy joins me now. Keith, how are you, pal? I'm very well, buddy. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, before we get into European football and look back on uh, a wild night of Champions League action last night, and indeed look ahead to Leipzig and Manchester City this evening and the uh, Josie Mourinho, Jose Mourinho derby of uh, Inter and Porto as well. You spent the day... Uh, courtesy of St. Patrick's Athletic and the FAI in Mountjoy Prison. Just to give a bit of background on um, this, 22 prisoners graduated the adult amateur coaching licence at Mountjoy Prison in Dublin today. Uh, the course was run by staff from League of Ireland Club St. Patrick's Athletic in partnership with I- the Irish Prison Service and the FAI Coach Education Department. Uh, this sounds like a great cause, uh, Keith, and uh, very educational to say the least. Yeah, look, I was in the prison this morning, as you said. We were handing out uh, a couple of certificates to the 22 lads who who completed the course, who graduated from the course. And it's a great, it really is a great initiative, you know. It, there's so many transferable skills you can take from any sport mm. into every walk of life, you know. I'm talking to the lads about communication, about their attitude, and just about applying themselves to something. And it's brilliant, you could see they were coming up one by one to get their certificates and there's a bit of camaraderie, you know, they're, they're getting all, having a bit of banter when their names are getting called out. Mm. And it's great just to just to, to be trying to forward themselves as human beings and, you know, have a game of football because sport can bring people together. It's it's a really, really powerful tool, you know. Absolutely. So you were involved with that, um, as was St. Patrick's Academy Manager and Course Leader, Gerard O'Brien, uh, Mountjoy Prison Chief Officer Brian Hayes uh, and a prisoner um, who we will refer to as Tom, who was one of the prisoners who completed the course. Uh, and thanks to St. Patrick's Athletic and Jamie Moore. Uh, here's a bit of audio uh, from them earlier today. My job was to oversee the project. We did kind of uh, rip her up a little bit, so initially Brian Hayes, Chief Hayes, who I know quite well, approached me about coming into the prison, do a bit of football with the lads, and I just thought, oh, if we're going to do something, I think we should make it more. Mm-hmm. So myself and himself approached Niall O'Regan from the FEI, Head of Coach Education, and we came with this idea of maybe, can we do actually physical course with the lads? And if that was possible, 
how do we go about doing it? So he agreed, he supported us, but we wanted to kind of rip up the lights the way that the FEI do it for normal courses, and we wanted to kind of uh, streamline it to our own kind of way. And then since then, we've kind of been coming in and out of prisons for the last three years and, and delivering these courses. Well, as someone who comes from a disadvantaged area, myself, sport was a massive part of, of my life growing up, and I firmly believe it played a massive part in keeping me on the right track and, and getting me ultimately to where I am today. Um, there's a lot of guys I went to school with who, who maybe didn't partake in sport and didn't do the education side of things and have ultimately ended up in prison or or even, you know, unfortunately big addiction issues, stuff like that. So to me, sport is a massive part of, of keeping people on the straight and narrow and giving them something positive and something to engage in, you know. It's not just the sport itself, but it's everything that it brings with it. It's the friendships, uh, the doors it opens, the skills, the life skills you learn. So um, I just think sport is a massive part to play in, in positivity, especially in the prison environment, you know. Yeah, the graduation was good, yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, the group of lads, we all had a great time doing the, doing the course. Uh, Different, totally different to what, what you'd be used to in here, do you know what I mean? And the lads that came in were brilliant. Well, there was two kind of parts. It was like a, a classroom part where we did the, the, the learning and then there was a practical side to it in the yard, just learning drills and how to lay out drills and kind of coaching tips and just kind of getting, getting an idea of what being a coach is like. It's totally different to what a prison environment is like because it's prison environment can, can be quite lonely. People keep to themselves and it's kind of not forcing you, but it's making you come together and work together as a team. It's teaching you communication skills, which are very important because you learn how to communicate properly with people, it stops any problems, you know what I mean? Especially when you're living together in a close environment. You know? So a great cause there. Um, as I mentioned, that was St. Pat's Academy Manager and Course Leader Gerald Bryan, Mountjoy Prison Chief Officer Brian Hayes, and one of the prisoners who completed the course uh, uh, spoke, or speaking, I should say, uh, earlier today. So yeah, no fair play, Keith. That's a that's a great cause as well. Just on the Pat's thing, I know we will be previewing League of Ireland at the weekend. Sold out against Shells uh, this Friday night. Yes, sold out last Friday as well. It was a really good game against Dirty. It was, you know, Dirty were on top. It was, I wouldn't say 50-50, but... Pats had their chances, but I think Pats would be happy to get away with a point. But look, we uh, we play Shelbourne this Friday, and we'll be looking for bigger and better things. And it was the first game of the season, so something to build on. You know, the one thing everybody didn't want to do was lose the first game, and Pats haven't done that, so something to build on. Nice Dublin derby, of course. Best of luck to both teams. So I'll leave the conversation there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let us chat European uh, football and that. Uh, just, I don't even know how to, to sum up the, what, what happened last night. It was just, it was brilliant viewing from, from a neutral perspective, just with the goals and everything. I know we were chatting here yesterday with Mark Langdon and Paul Curry and they were kind of saying it's either going to be nil all, maybe one nil, or it's either going to be a classic. And thankfully, we got the latter. Yeah, an absolute classic, you know, from the first couple of minutes when Darwin Nunes puts that ball into the back of the net, you're thinking, what a great finish. And then when you actually look at, if you, if you were to put yourself into Mo Salah's position, the pass isn't on like it, mm. it's just not there so for him to see that and think he's a couple of frames ahead of everybody else he plays it in there and Darwin Nunes his run is actually timed wrong that's why he has to finish like that it's a brilliant improvised finish and it's, we got everything didn't we goalkeeping yeah. mistakes defending mistakes so brilliant bit of uh, Vinicius force goal Vinicius Junior's force goal and he just gets it out of his feet so quickly bang straight into the bottom corner not really not a lot the, the Liverpool defence could have done about it Benzema didn't really do a lot during the game but when he gets a chance he hits the back of the net you know he's 35 Modric is 37 the two of them just look absolutely evergreen and mm. people are talking about Liverpool maybe going a bit stale maybe getting a bit old somebody want to tell Luka Modric that because this fella honest to God he played every every minute of every game for Croatia mm. he's just an unbelievable player never in, never in the media for any, any sort of bad 
bad wrongdoing, never saw it, never any negative press. He just gets on with it game after game. He's a real, real pro and somebody that all younger footballers should be looking up to. A total and utter capitulation from Liverpool. But as you mentioned there, I think credit has to go to, to Real Madrid because I know a lot of the narrative is just how bad Liverpool were. But Real Madrid were fantastic and stunning and very easy on the on the eye. It, like in your opinion, Keith, what is it about Liverpool though? Like are they mentally and physically drained? I mean, they played every match that they could have last season, basically. Mm. And now you're trying to come in and trying to keep up the performances and it's just not clicking. I think I think it's a bit of everything. I think the defence has come off at a couple of a couple of percent. And to be honest, when you look at it, when you really break down Liverpool's defence, the only person you'd call back there a, a really top class defender is Virgil Van Dijk, and he's a little bit offer at the minute. Andy Robertson, brilliant footballer, not a great defender. Trent Alexander Arnold, brilliant footballer, not a great defender. Matip. Uh, Gomez playing next to Van Dijk not great defenders you know they really need to invest heavily in somebody who wants to defend because three out of them four do not want to defend and look Liverpool's rock and roll football will get them so far but eventually you're going to get tired you mentally and physically Liverpool look burned out to me and when they beat Everton two weeks ago people were saying oh this is Liverpool torn in the corner I really didn't buy into that I, I feel like Liverpool are, I used the word stale before I think people have walked them out this high line they play it's yeah, I just think people have started to turn around and I, I feel like Liverpool need to press the reset button and just just reinvent themselves somehow because they do have the bones of a very good squad there, a very good team, one of the best managers in the world. But it's just a little bit stale. They come off it in defence, come off it particularly in midfield and they're not scoring the goals that they used to either. So, But look, the, for me, the, the, alarms, the alarm bells were there when they let Mane go uh, last year. I know it was 40 million. He was in the last year of his contract, but... 40 millions in today's game is peanuts really they, they should have really kept them I thought a big club's move would have said you're staying here we st- you're still one of the best left wingers in the world you're staying here for your last year but as it was they let him go and for me that was just a, a little red flag straight away and it's it's proven to be so this season a nice uh, three week gap before they play Real Madrid again but in that time they play Palace Wolves United who are banging form as well and so the game's coming uh, thick and fast. Napoli also had a, a comprehensive win uh, last night. Good performance by them. Uh, running away with Syria uh, and a good win. Uh, let us move on to this evening. Manchester City still searching for that uh, Champions League victory. Kevin De Bruyne and Miracle Port are out of uh, this evening's match, as is John Stones. Maximo Perone has uh, travelled their January signing as well. Uh, they're looking to respond. Frustrating draw at the weekend uh, to Forest. Uh, which left them two points behind Premier League leaders Arsenal will they respond and push on in the Champions League? I think they will I, they, they, I think they'll get past Leipzig it'll be difficult tonight I think it'll be a tight game maybe one or one maybe two goals in at most but you, I'm looking at the, the starting eleven for Manchester City tonight and Bernardo Silva started left back against Nottingham Forest he did it against Arsenal as well and he done okay against Bakayo Saka but Bernardo Silva is a one of the best attacking midfielders creative midfielders right wingers whatever you want to call him he's, he's one of the best in the world at that I don't believe that if a player is intelligent you can just pop him anywhere in the pitch and he'll be okay and yeah if if Manchester City were down on numbers or you know there was a couple of injuries I could say okay you can put him left back for now but they let Joe Cancelo go on loan to Bayern Munich mind boggling that he's one of the best fullbacks in the world and yeah. I, I know apparently they were having him and Pep Guardiola were having some variables but for me there's a certain amount of slack you take if a player is that good and if he's that good and you need him you put up with the slack and yeah. I know look far be it from me to, to question the great Pep Guardiola but if you've got one of the best fullbacks in the world and you're moving one of your better 
attacking midfielders into left back. It just doesn't make sense, does it? So look, for me again, Silva Bernardo Silva was caught out for uh, Nottingham Forest equaliser on the weekend, but they've a much better shape than tonight. It looks like a flat four-four-three. Nathan Ake is going to play left back. Bernardo Silva will be in the midfield with Rodri and Gundogan. There's no Kevin De Bruyne. That might be something. Look, at Leipzig, they do have the players to hurt you. Timo Werner, we all know, uh, very, very quick player from his time at Chelsea. Andre Silva up front mm. has four goals. And even Cuckoo to come off the bench, it was 12 goals this season as well. So I think it'll be a tight game, but even if it was a draw, you would expect Manchester City coming back to Manchester to be able to get that done. Well, if it's half as entertaining as the match last night, I'll take it. Keith, I would love to chat more. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Blame Tony Dunahoo <laughs> rambling on earlier on. Keith, gentlemen, thanks for, for popping in. Bet the Silva is up next on 2FM After News from all of the game on team. It is. Bye for now. RTE 2FM